It is extremely unlikely that such an alarming number of bodies found in the canals is the result of accidents or suicides. Craig Jackson, Professor of Psychology at Birmingham University. This is Terrify Me, a podcast about scary things in fact, fiction and folklore. I'm your host, Anthony Frost. This week, I'll be going over a hypothetical serial killer. Nobody is sure whether he actually exists or not, but that doesn't make the story any less interesting. Quite the opposite from my money. First, I'd like to thank those who've taken a chance on my brand new zero-budget podcast. I have no experience in this sort of thing, and I'd be lying if I said it was all smooth sailing, but so far I'm having quite a good time with it. From next week, I'll be releasing episodes on Thursdays rather than the weekend. Why Thursdays, you ask? Well, the podcasts I listen to, personally, tend to mostly drop on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Assuming that you have tastes similar to my own, it feels like good timing. Now, without further ado, The Manchester Pusher. I'll begin by acknowledging my sources. Firstly, The Manchester Pusher documentary by Daft Monkey free to watch on YouTube. I highly recommend it. I also drew from various articles in the Manchester Evening News, all available online. Okay, let's begin, shall we? Since 2007, more than 80 people have died in the canals of Manchester. At least 28 of those have been left with an open verdict on cause of death, meaning the police aren't sure what killed them. Many of these are certainly the results of accidents. In many places, the canals have no safety railings and the lighting can be exceptionally poor on some of the darker canal side streets. However, that is a disproportionately large number of deaths by those means in an area of that size. Because of this, many have come to believe that a serial killer haunts the streets of Manchester. Known at first by many names, notably including Jack the Dipper, he was granted his current alias through a joint effort by Twitter and the media in 2015. As you may have noticed in the episode title, or perhaps the introduction, they called him the Manchester Pusher. So, first of all, a survivor story. It certainly does seem to fit the hypothetical pattern of our uncertain villain. A 34-year-old gentleman who wishes to remain anonymous was cycling home along a canal path at night when a large figure stepped out in front of him and knocked him off his bike. The stranger then pushed the cyclist into the water. The cyclist, initially more confused than anything, attempted to regain the bank. He found his efforts frustrated by his attacker, who kicked at him whenever he approached the shore. Realising he was in real trouble, the cyclist began to panic. In a display of good timing never seen before or since, police sirens sounded off in the distance. At least distant initially, they were clearly coming closer. The attacker fled, allowing the cyclist to return to land and tell his story. He suspects that the man he encountered was none other than the pusher. The police, of course, were just passing by and didn't render any aid to the cyclist. Now, clearly, this is a case of assault at the very least. Considering the treacherous, frigid conditions of the Bridgewater Canal, an argument can very easily be made for attempted murder. Now, was this particular case... Was it the continuation of a pattern, or was it a one-off? Well, simply put, we don't know and we can't know. 
The important thing to remember is that whatever the aggressor's intent, our cyclist survived. Not everybody was so fortunate. In 2012, one of the many people to lose their life in the Manchester canals was a 21-year-old student named David Plunkett. He'd gone for a night out with a friend named Michael. They hit up a music event at Trafford Park one night, mid-April. He called his parents at 1.20am, though he did not say a word. The only sounds from his end of the line were footsteps. David's mother spoke to silence for eight long minutes, desperate to know what had happened to her son, why he wasn't with Michael, why he wouldn't speak. At the end of those eight minutes, she heard, and I quote, ghastly screaming before the call ended. Immediately, David's parents called the emergency services. His body was later retrieved from Manchester Ship Canal. The investigation into his death concluded that he died of accidental drowning and that alcohol was a factor. His parents don't believe that. How could they, after that call? Let's suppose, for a moment, that the ghastly screaming was the moment David fell into the water. Why didn't his parents hear a splash? They're certain that they didn't. That suggests to me, that the scream had nothing to do with the water. David's tragic end is one of so many in Manchester's canals. It seems to be predominantly young men. Young men such as trainee sports teacher Nathan Tomlinson, who was found dead in the river Irwell two months after disappearing from a Christmas party in 2010. He'd been in touch with his family, letting them know he was taking it easy, you know, only drinking shandy. A CCTV video purports to show him running in the direction of the canal late that night. Though his family do not think that Nathan is the subject of the video, they think it's someone else. He was found without his jacket, wallet, phone or ID. Which suggests some ill intent somewhere along the line. And of course, there was a design student named Suvik Pal. I do hope I'm not messing up the pronunciation of his name too badly who was found in Bridgewater Canal only 50 metres from where he'd been celebrating New Year's Eve 2012 with friends at the Warehouse Project dance night. He'd been thrown out by bouncers when he tried to, to jump a lengthy queue for the toilets and is believed to have attempted to regain entry to the venue by climbing a fence. CCTV footage shows him outside the venue in the company of a person unknown to his friends and family on the night that he died. His father is certain he became a victim of the pusher. Now, I could sit here all night and talk about stories of people that have died in Manchester's canals, but that wouldn't be productive. I'll leave it at those four. Before I go any further, I would like to mention a theory I came across in Daft Monkey's documentary on this subject. Specifically, the theory that the pusher is someone already known to the police and to the public. Many will already be aware of the case of Reynard Sinaga, the serial sexual assaulter who drugged and raped over 150 men over the course of several years until he was caught in 2017. He's believed to be the most prolific rapist in British history, and he operated in Manchester. Some suggest that there has been a marked decrease in canal deaths over the past few years. Now, some people don't think that it's coincidental that this man was imprisoned and then canal deaths seem to have declined. Now, is it possible that Sinaga was a double predator, a rapist who also murders people who he's not raping, like two entirely different streams of 
awfulness, perhaps, perhaps not, the theory doesn't seem to have a lot of mainstream acceptance. I'm going to leave this aside for now. It's it's food for thought, certainly, uh, but there's little actual evidence to support it. And remember, we're, we're not even sure that the pusher exists. It's a big old discussion. People trying to work out whether or not a killer stalks the Manchester canals. Broadly speaking, there's a few pretty good arguments on either side of the debate. On the pro-serial killer, by which I mean in favour of the existence of such a criminal, not supporting him. Uh, we have psychology professor Craig Jackson, who's on the record as saying that the sheer number of deaths in the canals is deeply concerning. He finds it implausible that so many people would die due to accidents or suicide in the canals of Manchester specifically. Plenty of other towns have similar canal networks. None of them have such a body count. And of course we must consider the experiences and beliefs of the families of those lost. The phone call to David Plunkett's family is unsettling in the extreme. And by all accounts, Nathan Tomlinson was a responsible young man who'd not have acted recklessly enough to get himself killed that night in 2012. His family suspected foul play, and they doubt that the video footage of a man seen running in the direction of the water is Nathan. That bears repeating. His family don't recognise him in that video. And in the case of uh, Suvik Pal, the footage of him with a man that nobody seems able to identify and his father's conviction that there's more to the story than the official narrative is concerning. Now on the flip side, we have the police. They contend that the deaths can be accounted for by a combination of individual cases of drunken missteps, altercations gone wrong, you know, the occasional one-off murder that do not constitute a singular pattern. The chief argument at one stage was that there was no way a serial killer operating in such a manner could evade detection for so long. It's not a very effective way to kill a person, if we're entirely honest. It's hardly foolproof. There would certainly be survivors. Of course, we do have one survivor, the cyclist I spoke of earlier. And that case in particular, it does suggest some rather fascinating possibilities to me. The way I see it, there are three options, really. Well, three and a half. Number one. The aggressor in the story was just a random villain, just out to cause misery as a one-off. Number two. The aggressor was, in fact, the pusher. Number three. The aggressor was a copycat, or rather, an attempted copycat of the real pusher. 3.5. As above, but there's no real pusher. So the aggressor was imitating an urban legend, a folk tale. There's a dark undercurrent in there that I've not quite processed, but this possibility is probably the most frightening to me. So what are we to make of all this? Is there a killer in Manchester, drowning men for kicks? Let's briefly consider a violent crime from 2013. Four men and a 15-year-old boy were on a robbery spree in the vicinity of the Rochdale Canal in Manchester city centre. In the process of committing their crimes, they came into physical conflict with a number of people. One of those was a man named Simon Brass, 40 years old, from Salford. The altercation ended when one of the robbers pushed Mr Brass into the canal. Mr Brass died that night. The robbers were convicted of theft and manslaughter. If we bear that case in mind, it's not hard to imagine that there could be many such encounters. 
with entirely unrelated groups or individuals that fly under the radar. Of the 28 plus deaths that can't be accounted for, how many can be chalked up to circumstances such as this? A fair few, I'd imagine. And that's not to say that the deaths aren't horrible, that they're any less tragic, of course. It's not a position I gladly take, but I'm largely with the police on this one. You know, perhaps David Plunkett was murdered. Perhaps Nathan Tomlinson was too. And Suvik Pal, and all the others that lost their lives in the canals, and whose deaths have not been adequately explained to date. That doesn't necessarily mean that it was a single serial killer, in all cases though. And, you know, while we're here, let's touch on the phenomenon of serial murder in Britain. Since Jack the Ripper, 34 serial killers have been identified in the UK. Among these, the most prolific is Harold Shipman, with a death toll of around 260. We currently have no indication of an active serial killer in the UK today, but there are a few caveats on that. From April 2020 to March 2021, approximately 600 deaths were recorded as homicide. Of those, 173 remain unsolved. Consider, as well, that over 180,000 people are reported missing every year in the UK. The, the, the overwhelming majority are found health, happy and sound. But some of them stay missing, and about 900 are eventually found to be dead. It's possible, likely even, that some of those missing folks rightly belong on the murder tally. Professor David Wilson, a criminologist and the author of A History of British Serial Killing, which, by the way, fantastic read, I highly recommend that, estimates that at any one time there are two serial killers active in the UK. This conclusion was reached based on statistical analysis. He also says it's likely that many serial killers are never caught, that we never have any indication at all that they exist. So his estimate of two is based on essentially killers that we've caught and patterns we've identified that we haven't managed to catch someone for. But if there are patterns we haven't managed to identify, then that number could be higher. It could be much higher. So while I'm not convinced that there is a human monster drowning people in Manchester, that doesn't mean that there aren't dangerous, monstrous people in our midst. And also I am open-minded. I'm willing to change my mind on the Manchester pusher if more evidence comes to light. But as it stands right now, I don't think that there is a serial killer drowning people in Manchester. As far as I'm concerned, it's a folktale. It's a folktale with a tragic source, and in no way do I want to minimize the impact that these deaths have had on people's lives. You know, not only those who died, but those who survived and lost loved ones. The trauma is real, even if the killer isn't. That said, I think I'm just about done with the Manchester pusher. If you do want to look more into this and reach your own conclusions, I would highly recommend Daft Monkey's documentary released on YouTube. I'll put a link in the bio for it. It's a good watch, and you'll get a really good sort of visual representation of where this happened, which is especially valuable if, like me, you're not that familiar with Manchester. So yeah, I would highly recommend that. And, you know, as ever, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. 
And uh, if you did enjoy this, and you have any suggestions for what other things you'd like for me to cover, or you didn't enjoy this, and you want to tell me how much of an embarrassment I am to my species, then tweet me, at TerrifyMePod. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Terrify Me with Anthony Frost. The theme music is by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com and used under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TerrifyMePod, all one word. For more from me, visit anthonyfrost.com or follow me on Twitter at Anthony R. Frost. That's Anthony without an H. See you next time.